I'm Stu Buchanan, and you're listening to Out From Under on Resonance Extra, a programme which dives deep beneath the surface of the Australian music scene, celebrating experimental and eclectic music from the other side of the world. This week, we explore decades-old Australian music, which has been made available for a new generation of listeners through a unique archival label called Efficient Space. Unlike many reissue labels whose stock trade is in unearthing long-forgotten albums and faithfully recreating the original release, Efficient Space takes a more creative, curatorial approach, compiling archival work into new compilations and new EPs, and in some cases, giving long-out-of-print artists their first real taste of commercial success. Efficient Space is the brainchild of radio programmer and presenter Michael Cusick, who fronted the long-running programme Noise In My Head on both Melbourne's renowned community radio station 3RRR and most recently through NTS. Through Efficient Space, Michael's adventurous taste in programming has now led to the release of compilations such as the proto-industrial post-punk sounds of Ozwaves, now in its third vinyl pressing, which sits alongside 90s Avant Club excursions on the collection 3AM Spares, and a celebrated repackaging of long-lost Indigenous Australian music from Wack Wack Jungi. In the first half of this week's programme, we'll be talking to Michael about the genesis of the label, his curatorial approach, and the stories behind some of the label's releases. And in the second half, we'll be listening to a collection of unique Australian music from the archives, exclusively curated by Michael for Out From Under. This is the story of Efficient Space on Out From Under. So back in 2005, you started the program Noise In My Head on Triple uh, R, which is the Melbourne community radio station. Was that your first radio program? It was, but I was involved in the station doing fields and graveyards for, you know, maybe three or four years leading up to that. Like it was quite competitive to get a show on the grid at that time. So when it happened, I was like super grateful. And then it went for 13 years following that. So much time has passed, I can't actually remember what the initial angle was to get the show over the line. Um, But I was a lot more into, you know, psychedelic, experimental, post-punk, you know, more folky stuff. So that definitely evolved over time. And I guess I was just trying to always find music, regardless of, you know, what style it was, that was somewhat unrepresented on the station already. Yeah, definitely trying to dig a little deeper. What was the genesis of the Efficient Space label concept? Obviously, you know, you've been curating radio programs, um, I guess, you know, for 15 years before the label started. How did you make the step from radio program to label? Actually, like that whole time I'd been working in the Australian music industry. I did eight years at a publisher, you know, three years at Modular Recordings, which didn't have the happiest ending, but I gathered a fair bit of experience and then with the show had a modest international audience and a strong DJ network knew a lot of record stores from traveling around the world and buying records all the time it just kind of seemed to be the one thing that linked all my past experience and came across this record which was like a 90s kind of Balearic house record by a Melbourne artist called Braden Schlager um, that I was totally fixated with 
and he appeared on SoundCloud one day and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to him, see if he wants to reissue this and that will be the start of whatever it is we're going to do. I was going to ask whether or not the reissue concept was something that was there from the start or was more just here was a opportunity to release Braden's music and we'll take it from there. The reissue projects that we have done, I think I'm just a lot more attached to them. I kind of feel, you know, there's so much amazing new music out but if I didn't put it out, there would be 10 other labels that would. And when I do it, an incredible job servicing that. So I feel like my motivation is to try and find those outlier things that if I didn't initiate it, maybe they wouldn't happen or maybe that wouldn't happen for a couple of years. So it's definitely a lot more drive to find these more obscure stories to try and dig up and present. me about Braden's release what was it that enthused you so much well I guess coming from a dance music background just trying to educate myself on you know like Melbourne's own dance music history and what came the decades before myself and it was just one of those one-of-a-kind records that you just yeah I don't know I just loved it Braden wasn't prolific right no he only put out one record and then he contributed something to a university score and much like many other efficient space identities just dissolved into normal life gave up music had a family moved to byron bay and surfed every day and kind of left music behind what was the reaction to that first release when it came out for efficient space like did it did it sort of meet your expectations in terms of how people would respond to that particular release yeah it was heaps of fun he had a girlfriend at the time who he got in touch with and you know she had like rolls and rolls of um undeveloped negatives of all these you know artwork banners that they would put up at their raves and parties and you know vice made a documentary on the rave scene of the 90s and he was one of the principal characters of that but they also talked to you know the drug dealer the promoter the dancer the visual artist um so it was, it was interesting seeing that it exists the story was told more than just the record itself with a lot of sort of reissues of australian music you know we we saw a swathe i would say maybe five to ten years ago of um a lot of kind of post-punk uh, period that period of like mid 70s to early 80s is pretty well covered uh, in many respects um, but certainly the kind of 80s and I would say more into kind of you know kind of rave culture if you like in Australia doesn't seem to be particularly well catered for as far as reissues go and of course well, a lot of that stuff that was released on 12 inch CDs just never made it out of the decade I guess yeah a lot of that time totally has, has not been covered digitally at all. And there was a compilation Efficient Space put out last year, 3 a.m. spares, that I guess was, you know, another phase in trying to crack that wide open for a younger audience in the same way that Braden Schlager did, but on a larger scale with I think, 10 artists on that, or 12. Yeah, so let's talk about that compilation. It's been selected with Andras and Instant Peterson. Tell us about those guys. Those guys actually came through Triple R as well when I was doing late night Sundays. They started filling for a show after me and we just kind of instantly hit it off and saw that 
there are a lot of parallels in our music taste, but their knowledge and their appetite for discovery was leagues ahead. Um, yeah, those guys to me, uh, they're both of them are my favorite diggers. One of the interesting things about the 3AM release is there's a lot of kind of house-leaning material on there, I'd say. There's a bit of, bit of acid and a bit of techno, but it, you know, it's, it's very kind of uplifting. Why do you think they sort of bend a little bit more in that direction where it's perhaps a bit less experimental and a bit more dance floor? Yeah, probably that reflects their own DJ practice or taste. It's, you know, it's a bit more frisky, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, it's a bit more fun. Um, certainly less serious, and that probably is reflected in the track listing that they came up with. M Spares was the sequel to a release that came out maybe two years before, Midnight Spares, also put together by Andras and Instant Peterson, but not sort of taking that rave approach, taking something a little bit different. Can you talk about the curatorial approach to that release? Yeah, I guess the concept of that comp was a bit more, you know, art wave, dubby. A lot of those personalities that were involved in that Australian post-punk scene that had been documented quite a few times, but... I guess in this case we lean to their lesser known projects. But there is some correlation between the artists on that and the artists on 3M Spares because in the you know, 10 to 20 years between, a lot of those post-punk people did find electronics and rave culture and started immersing themselves in this new dance culture. So we're kind of curious to see like, what, what did these people do 15 years after? And that was the foundation of 3M Spares, I guess. Both of those compilations, the Triple R archives were a huge resource for Midnight Spares, the vinyl archive, and then 3M Spares was kind of the transition to the CD archive. And on top of you know a lot of things they were finding in the wild or things that I was finding, things that people at record stores were telling us about. Um, yeah, one thing kind of led to another. It's, it's sort of extraordinary to think actually how much material is being held by particularly community radio stations around Australia that has never saw the light of day. It's a huge kind of curatorial task to, to sort of go digging in the archives, but I imagine that with the releases that you've put out there, you're only really just scratching the surface. Yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, one thing I did love about 3M Spares is there was like kind of like a, a minimal artist called Tetrafum, and he's a... Visual artist called Jeremy Dower, who had records out on Chapter Music, you know, decades ago. But their track came from a CD in the Triple R archive that was essentially like a CDR demo. And the copy that we found was pretty much the only surviving copy of those recordings. Um, so, for, yeah, felt, felt relieved to catch that in time before it decayed any further.
We're talking with Michael Cusick from the Australian record label Efficient Space. One of my favourite compilations on the label, and indeed the record that turned me on to them in the first place, is the 2017 release Ozwaves, a collection of DIY synth-punk, tape-loop experiments and proto-industrial music culled from Australian releases from the 1980s. We'll pick up the conversation with Michael again in a minute, but to take us there, let's hear a track from the Ozwaves compilation. This is Prod and Knife on Top. from those two compilations, Midnight Spares and 3M Spares, to Ozwaves, because again, that's another dive through the kind of history, the kind of underground history, I guess, of, of Australian music, this time compiled by Steel Bonus. Uh, who's Steel Bonus? He's actually just a friend of mine when I was living in Sydney. Uh, he actually does all the graphic design, or at least 90% of it for the label. Um, yeah, just graphic designer, DJ, obscure music enthusiast. He now lives in Amsterdam plays gigs around Europe and occasionally has, you know, tabled these release ideas to me. Ozwaves was the first one. We just started working on Ozwaves 2, which may or may not happen because the people involved are a little harder to find. Ozwaves, I guess, was a bit more on the industrial tape loop experiments, some, uh, you know, kind of less aspiring inner city pop kind of stuff. Um, definitely a lot of Sydney and Melbourne artists predominantly. Yeah, just basically a lot of bedroom recordings. A lot of stuff that are only on cassettes in, you know, pressings of 5 to 20. So again, trying to save things before they decayed. It's quite a closed network of artists. So, you know, if you're having trouble finding one, at least you can track down their collaborators. But you know you can find and they can lead you in the right direction. And all of a sudden, they, um, 
everything came together pretty quickly. I think that compilation would have come together the fastest of all. Definitely a lot easier looking in your own backyard. I mean, Ozways was a trip. I think we pressed it three times over um, and probably might be able to do a couple of times before the term expires. Um, you know, from that, like we did an Andy Ranson EP because I guess he was so happy with how that went. But generally, I, I mean, I've been totally over the moon about it. The artists have been spoke with the reception as well, which is probably most important. When you've been talking to people overseas, whether distributors or stores or, or what have you, do they have any real sense of what you know some of these scenes in Australia were like, or is is the knowledge just fairly limited? I mean, from a contemporary level, there is so much international interest in Australian music right now that to approach a distributor or a store with an Australian release, you know, the door's kind of wide open. And I think that curiosity exists another layer to this retrospective stuff, which they may not necessarily know, but they. There is the desire for this knowledge, so it's kind of coming at a perfect time. You mentioned Andy Ranson there, who appeared as I said, under a couple of aliases on uh, 3AM Spares. But you know, Andy's work in the Australian music scene stretches back long, long, long time. Pelican Daughter has been one of the earlier ones, and perhaps the stuff he's best well known for, at least commercially, is uh, itchy and scratchy material. Tell us about the release that you put together for Andy, 166. I have all the time in the world for Andy Ranson. He's um, such a good soul. I totally feel like he understands exactly where I'm coming from. Uh, I kind of relate to him because he's one of those artists who's done all these wonderful things, but he's kind of happy to just sit in the shadows. You know, he's not an artist who's like chomping at the bit to do a live show, even though there's interest for it. He's kind of just, yeah, happy staying at home with his family and chucking tracks up on YouTube and Bandcamp. What were the particular tracks that you pulled together for this release? What's the story behind them? For that, I went over to his house one afternoon when I was in Sydney and basically just sat there listening to tracks for, I would have been like six hours long. I was just like, yes, no, maybe, yes, no, maybe, yes, no, maybe. But he's one of those hard people to work with because he's done every style and experiment imaginable. Like, it's, you know, it's, he's like the best shapeshifter, but it's very hard to come up with a release that's actually... Uh, concise as a result but there were quite a few of these digital dub kind of you know dance hall muddy dub varieties that I just was like this this is an EP can we put them together and of course he was happy to oblige a lot of amazing stuff on the floor just because it just kind of couldn't quite fit but thankfully other people have done it for me I think there was a Pelican Daughters reissue last year a Sydney label called Ken Oath put another EP out of his stuff from a similar period last year. And I think he's got maybe like four or five releases coming up from a lot of European labels. Yeah, his interest is definitely peaking.
Let's talk about the release that you did with Wack Wack Jungi. How did that originate? Uh, well, actually, Andras or Andy Wilson was again the instigator in that. He found it in the Triple R library while maybe that would have been while searching for 3AM spares. It was definitely shortly after. He just called me up and he was like, Michael, you've never believed what I've discovered. It's like nothing I've ever heard before. I would love to put it out, but I don't have a label. Should I kind of feel like this is something we should do together and of course he sent me the material and I was I just fell over I, I particularly in this time when everything I hear I automatically think oh this sounds like this or this sounds like that where this was like uncharted territory it was like nothing I'd ever heard before for those not familiar with the material it's a 1997 album called cruel fire music can you talk about the music so it's essentially the songs of three Yolongu songmen from Ramangiting which is like far north Northern Territory, almost as north as you can go. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a, a band as such. These songmen are just doing what their community obligation is. Uh, but basically, they, in the mid-90s, were coming to Melbourne for trips and they met this producer, Peter Mume, who was a kind of new age musician himself, ambient field recording or field recorder, uh, and he nominated to record their traditional songs, which I don't know if, if anyone's heard um, traditional Aboriginal songs. This is kind of what you would imagine. Um, but as an extension of this, he was also like, oh, you know, I think I could emulate a, the Rainbow Serpent with this synthesizer um, and drop in some field recordings. And let's see how, um, you know, this age old story can be told through these uh, new production values. And that effectively created these contemporary versions of these traditional songs. So you kind of hear these traditional verses with these, you know, transcendent, long-form, kind of hypnotic, electronic, synthesized instrumentation with bird calls uh, recorded in Ramanginning and their surroundings. Um, so we kind of set out to find out how that came about, how what the songs actually meant, because they're all traditional pieces, and basically proposed this reissue, which Peter, the white producer who kind of put the whole thing together, kind of helped us negotiate it with the traditional um, songmen and the owners of the material. And yeah, that was maybe a three and a half year process of just extreme patience and trying to understand. What were the particular challenges there in getting that release licensed the actual license was fairly easy but i think andy and i just wanted to understand more about it before we jumped ahead and did it and they came to melbourne you know earlier on in the process but it wasn't until afterwards that we actually flew up and presented them with the finished record and um that was amazing to eventually have happened, but it felt like that should have happened sooner, but we just had to wait for the right invitation. And they must have been stoked with it, right? Which was my complex. I was just like, it, you know, have we done it faithfully? Is this... Because you, you just don't know. 
and you go up there and you see how you know they're really gripping onto their culture and their ways and you know the younger generation maybe isn't carrying it on as much as the elders would like uh, you know for there's all kinds of variables that um are interfering there but yeah you, I, it was amazing seeing firsthand that they were just like you know thank you for doing whatever little you can do to share what we have here still feel like there's a lot of work to be done like whack whack was received so well but you know that record should be in every australian home and i think that's going to take a little longer to resonate with the wider masses That's Wack Wack Jungi there from the 2018 release Wack Wack Gaminmin. You can find that on the Efficient Space record label and we've been talking to Michael Cusick on this week's Out From Under program. For the second half of this week's show, we're going to listen to a collection of unique Australian music from the archives, especially curated by Michael for Out From Under. All the material here is well within the Efficient Space curatorial aesthetic called from obscure Australian releases from over the last 40 years. The selection starts and finishes with previews of the next two releases on Efficient Space from Wilson Tanner and Karen Marks. This is an Efficient Space selection from Michael Cusick on Out From Under. Yeah. Wow. 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 Wow
For the second half of this week's Out From Under, we've been listening to a collection of unique Australian music from the archives, exclusively curated by Efficient Space curator and label manager Michael Cusick. You can find all of the releases now on Bandcamp and streaming platforms. That brings us to the end of this episode of Out From Under. Thanks to Michael Cusick and thanks also to Peter and the team at Resonance Extra. You can find programme notes at bit.ly slash outfromunderradio. That's bit.ly slash outfromunderradio. If you missed last week's first episode of this new season, you can listen to that and indeed to all the previous episodes as podcasts. Just listen and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Out From Under. You can keep in touch with the programme by following me on Facebook at Stu Buchanan AU. I also post on Twitter and Instagram as Stuart Buchanan. The next episode is out in seven days' time. Until then, I'm Stu Buchanan. Thanks for listening to Out From Under. Jesus Christ.